And as we grow old and feeble and face death and eternity, how wonderful to know that this grace that converted us in our youth and our, and our physical strength will never leave us. Never leave us till our dying day and we're in eternity itself. Uh, one of the great thrills is to see a, an elderly Christian, maybe 90 years of age, just rejoicing in the love of the Savior. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and it is a joy to bring you the message of the Lord's Word again today. Our main message is Isaiah 59, the urgency of salvation. I trust you'll have your Bible open, ready to dig into God's Word today as we come to this passage of Scripture. We also have an article by uh, Anthony Huxma on the judgment of the church. And we'll be looking at the whole issue of Judaism and how the Sanhedrin really condemned itself and the whole Jewish system at that time by crucifying the Lord Jesus. There was an official capacity and function carried out as they met in darkness to condemn the Son of God. But firstly, we have Boaz Boon to sing for us at Calvary. May that message stir your heart and prepare you for the Lord's Word today. Yes, I stand in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died Let us examine the Jewish court records to see how they established the wickedness of the court and the innocence of the Son of Man. First of all, the records show that these judges condemned Jesus the day before and had wickedly covenanted with a traitor for thirty pieces of silver to deliver them into their hands that they might kill him. This proves that in their own consciences they were convinced that they had no case against Jesus. Secondly, it is evident that the entire procedure on the part of the Sanhedrin was illegal. This is true of the session of the court at this time. The Jewish court was not allowed to conduct trials at night or even to begin a case in the late afternoon. But Jesus' case was begun in the hollow of the night. There were, it appears, four different sessions that night and early morning. There was a session in the apartments of Annas, where a preliminary hearing and examination of the Savior took place. 
This was arranged most probably because no meeting of the council had been summoned until they were sure that Jesus had been taken captive. Not being permitted to begin a session in the hollow of the night, they postponed calling such a meeting until Jesus had been captured. Annas, who was not the high priest that year, but his father-in-law, no doubt welcomed the opportunity to subject the Lord to a hearing of his own, which, however, led to nothing. Then followed the session of the council, as it had been hastily summoned in the night, and from which we may well imagine men like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were absent. It was in this meeting that an attempt was made to find an accusation sustained by witnesses against the Saviour, an attempt which absolutely failed. There was, according to Luke chapter 22, a third session early in the morning, in which Jesus was put under oath by the high priest, and placed before the question whether he were the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was then that the Savior was condemned to death. And lastly, a meeting was held in the absence of Jesus, to discuss the matter whether or not they should bring him to the Roman governor to have him confirm their sentence. Examining the court records of these different sessions, we come to the conclusion that the entire procedure was illegal. It was such for three reasons, at least. First of all, they had no authority to try cases that involved capital punishment. Yet even before the case was opened, they had determined that they would pronounce the death sentence upon Jesus. And this is also their actual verdict. The Jewish council condemned the Lord to death, a fact which is not altered by their seeking the confirmation of this sentence through the Roman governor. Secondly, the trial was begun at night, which they were not permitted to do, and which plainly characterizes their entire procedure as a work of darkness. It is only when men are convinced in their own hearts that they conspire to do evil, that they avoid the light of day and publicity. And thirdly, they evidently gathered in the palace of the high priest rather than in the council chamber, the only legal place for official sessions. The motive was again to work in private and to avoid their evil works becoming known to the people. In all these respects, therefore, the trial of Jesus by the official representatives of the church was their own condemnation. Already they were drawn before the bar of God's justice, were exposed in their evil character and purpose, and were answering God's question, What think ye of Christ? You're listening to Let the Bible Speak, and that was an excerpt from When I Survey the Wondrous Cross by Anthony Huxma. It is a great account of the events leading up to the death of the Lord Jesus. Stay tuned now as we move to the pulpit ministry of our church at the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale when we let the Bible speak on Isaiah 59 and verse 19, the urgency of salvation. We also need to take the cross of Christ to fight against the flood of iniquities. Iniquities. Hollywood, the internet, perilous times, 
we are warned, will come upon the church. Perilous times when men will be lovers of themselves more than the lovers of God. Uh, that's the entertainment world. If it makes me feel good, that's what I want. But lovers of God seek to glorify him and honor him alone. And so we need to plead the promise here that God will destroy these enemies, these lusts, these uh, corruptions that drag us down. You know what I'm talking about. You know the battle you have with sin. You know the lusts of your own mind and heart. You know the things that plague you. And, and, and there are times when you get peace, and there's times when you get no peace, and there's times when you just are, are dragged to the point where you can't pray and you can't read your Bible with any peace, and it's, it's a plague and it's annoying, and it grieves you, and it grieves the Lord, and you lose his power. What are you to do? What are you to do? When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Turn with me to Romans 8, verse 13. Romans 8, 13. This is a great passage to show us what grace does in the heart of the born-again Christian, those that are struggling against sin and all its powers and lusts and evils. And here we see the place of victory. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit... Now, I've chosen this verse and thought on this verse because it links up with Isaiah 59, 19. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord, that's the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, His ministry delivers. He's the Spirit of Christ. He is the same one who rested upon Christ. And He leads us to Christ. And here you'll see that for the, the troubled believer who through the Spirit do mortify, mortify, that's put to death, slay the deeds of the body. You see, the tragedy is our bodies become our enemies if they are left to the flesh and the natural carnal lusts of the flesh. Uh, the enemies within us the enemy is me, the old me, the, the old Adam still in there. And you battle against that sin in your heart, the lust that is within your own bosom. And it comes like a flood. And when you, and sometimes you, you, you pray, Lord, take this away, but the flood keeps rising. And you think by going to church or by going to some meeting or activity that you're going to get victory, but the flood keeps rising. And you get to the place of being desperate. What do you do? Through the Spirit. You pray earnestly for the Spirit of God to fill your heart. You pray for the Spirit of God who gave you a new nature by which you were born again, by which you became a Christian, that that new nature will grow and get strong, and that through the Spirit you will put to death, mortify the lusts of the flesh, the deeds of the body. Here's the place of victory. And it's available to you just as the cross is God's way of salvation made available the Holy Spirit is available to every Christian. 
he will come and do a great work in you and give you the victory. Pray for this lifting up the standard, looking unto Jesus, the author, and he's the finisher. And all the struggles that you have in your Christian life, all the temptations you face, all the evils of the devil against you, he promises you the victory. Promises them. He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The grace, the operation of grace in your soul, this tap that turned on the reservoir of God's grace to flow into your soul, yes, you can, you can plug up that pipe by your carnal, self-centered, Christ-denying activities. But if you seek the Spirit and pray for the power of the Spirit of God in your life, I tell you, God won't turn the tap off. He'll give you His Spirit. And He'll give you the grace that you need to fight. Fight through this standard, this lifting up of the Lord Jesus. Christ is also the standard of our fellowship. Um, what is it that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ and united uh, in, the, in the work of the gospel? We are marching to the same standard. And you might be at the head of the army and I might be at the, at the behind. You may be on the left and I might be on the right. But we're all looking to the same standard and we're going to the same place, to the same battle, on the same terms. And you don't live at the address I live and you don't deal with the same issues I face and vice versa. You deal with things I don't deal with, but we're all looking to the same standard. We have come by grace to see Christ as the answer to the need of our lives. We come here in the Lord's church and we unite and we, we seek this ministry of enabling us to look unto Jesus. And we come to this communion table, communion, we lock arms, we come as brothers and sisters in the church. We commune with one another and with our Lord. And we take these same symbols and we take the very same uh, seals of our salvation and we look unto Jesus. This is the standard of our fellowship, the victory of the cross, the power of that blood for our souls. We love him. We love him. One of the great mysteries of grace is, as Peter put it, whom having not seen, we love. I don't know what kind of Christian some may be, but I think we can say we love our Lord Jesus. We love him. And it is my greatest joy to be in the company of people who also love him and look to him and march to his standard, to his call, and seek to live in the blessed fellowship of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our fellowship is in the spreading of this gospel. What is it that unites us in the work of the, the Christian church? We want to be a part of spreading this gospel. It comes also to our evangelism. And when I see a brother, sister, burden, praying, giving, going to spread the gospel, I want to be, I want to be a part of that. As he or she 
marches to this standard of lifting up the name of the Lord Jesus, I can say that I want to be a part of that. There becomes now unity of fellowship. That's why we want you here at every meeting of the church. That's why we want you in the prayer meeting. That's why we want you to come with your prayer needs and your vision for the cause of Christ and pray. Pour out your heart. Let us hear your burden. Let us know that you're burdened. Let us know that this is your desire. Oh, there's nothing that thrills and warms the heart of a Christian. There's nothing that, that binds the bonds of Christian fellowship more than to see that zeal to promote the kingdom of God. It's also the standard of our future. As I look at these verses back in Isaiah 59, I notice here that there is the future in, in, in place, in view. It says in verse 20, And the Redeemer shall come to Zion. I think that it would be a normal interpretation that this is the Lord Jesus himself coming in his incarnation uh, to dwell among men and to go to the cross. The Redeemer shall come to Zion. And unto them that turn from transgression and Jacob, saith the Lord. There is a future here. It is a looking unto this Redeemer and this work for his people. But you'll notice that there's also a covenant here in verse 21. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit. Now here again, here's, the, here's this victory, this way of unity and fellowship and fighting and, and believing faith. This work of the Spirit, this standard. My Spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth, shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed. So let's take it generation by generation here. Okay, you've professed faith in the Lord Jesus. And he has put his word into your heart, his spirit into your heart. And he says he will not allow that word to depart. And as we grow old and feeble and face death and eternity, how wonderful to know that this grace that converted us in our youth and our, and our physical strength will never leave us. Never leave us till our dying day and we're in eternity itself. Uh, one of the great thrills is to see a an elderly Christian, maybe 90 years of age, just rejoicing in the love of the Savior. Some here today are an example to us. And I think very soon I'm going to be an example to the younger. But here's a covenant, here's a future now. That word, that spirit that God has put in our hearts will not depart. And then to our children, our children, and Beulah and me included, there are many parents in this church who are torn up, heartbroken, burdened over our children. But here's a promise. Here's a promise. Here's a word to cling to. How are we going to fight this battle? Here's a standard that we can look to. And then it goes on to talk about our seeds Seed. That's those new little grandchildren. And how we love to share those little pictures and tell you the story of their little antics. <coughs> Be an interesting poll to discover how many people are in the church today that came from Christian homes 
or had Christian grandparents. In the law of averages, unless God sends a mighty revival to a, to a, a nation in a particular generation, and there is a sweeping bringing in of the lost to the church, by and large, God works through families. By and large. I'm an exception because, well, my mother was converted slightly shortly before I was, she professed faith in the Lord slightly before I came to Christ. Months, just a few months. But for my 18 years of life, I did not grow up in a Christian home. But God and the law of averages work through families. And the thing that is our greatest burden, greatest desire, to see our children saved. And we've seen the tide come up, the tide of the world and the tide of the devil and temptation, and it has just kept rising. We, we tried to stop it. We tried to prevent it. We did all in our powers that this may not happen, but the tide just keep rising and rising. And there are those children that need the Lord. And the fear is if they die today, they'd be lost. Be lost. How are we going to pray about this? Are we going to fall into despair and cast down our hands and say there's no hope anymore? Why even bother? Here's a promise. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against it. In your margin, there's an alternate reading, put him to flight. Put him to flight. Chase the enemy. How oh, I would that, that, that the Lord in his power would just take the filth of this world and chase it away. How would God do that? Well, when he regenerates our hearts, what does he do? He takes away the love of the world. He takes away its attraction. He takes away its, its allurements. And the things that we once loved, we begin to hate. And the things of God and purity and truth and righteousness and the church and the Bible and gospel preaching, the things that a young person grew up to hate, God causes them to love. This week at our week of prayer, while he was not there in person, one of our elders in our church in Philadelphia, uh, Kevin Sargent is the elder's name. He's a son called Cameron. He's about 21, 22 years old and just became so hardened and a cause of great grief to his parents. Well, two weeks ago, Dr. Allison was preaching, and he hasn't been in church for a long while, but there he was, and close to the back, his parents were up near the front, and he saw Cameron sitting there really listening, really listening. And then as he went down to the door, Dr. Allison said to Cameron, he said, have you got something to tell me? And he said, yeah, I got saved two weeks ago. Have you told your parents yet? No. I want them to see the difference first. And Dr. Allison says, well, I think you should tell your parents. And his mother came down and she asked, was Cameron in the meeting today? And he said, yes. What's happened? He said he got saved. What tears, what joy. If you remember Kevin Sargent, he's gone through a really tough time with cancer. He's the man who had the text on his hospital bed, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. This is the word and the spirit God puts in that generation. He is pleased to put in the second generation. There's another elder in our Indianapolis church. His son got saved last July at the Eastern Camp. 
I'm just telling you these encouraging words that have encouraged me to keep praying for our children. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard against him. It's not hopeless. Don't give up. Let's rally as a congregation to the place of prayer. Let's come and unite and multiply our prayers. Let's come in faith, cleaving to these covenant promises, to these words the Lord gives us. Let us press on trusting the Lord. Why does God allow that tide ever to come at all? Is he not there controlling? Well, God works in sovereign, strange ways. You remember the illustration Dr. Kearns gave once in this pulpit? He talked about the little, the, the, the lady that was embroidering and the child looked up underneath and saw this embroidery and said, Mom, it's a mess. It's a mess. And she looked up, was she just the t drag ends, the pieces that were cut off, all lengths and colors, no pattern design from the underside. And then the mother turned around and said, hey, here, here's the real side. One day, God's going to take what we see now as a mess, and he's going to show us the pattern. That eternal, sovereign design of a good God who does all things well. And we'll praise him. And the Lord said to Peter one day, what, thou, what I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Hallelujah. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that? Are we Christians? Are we able to look to the standard and see and follow? This is the Lord's word today. Isaiah 59, 19. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against it. Tonight, I will give you the report of two Muslims who have been converted in our Toronto church. For years now, they've been fearful of the influx of Muslims right in the community around their church. They built a, a mosque firstly, and then a multicultural center, uh, and then uh, just, just the, uh, the difficulty of ministering in that community. What an answer. And they've been praying that these leading imams would be converted. Well, the Lord has done something here. Uh, what, a, what an answer when the enemy comes in like a flood. The Spirit of the Lord, he's not done with us. Well, we end our message there now, but that's not the end of the invitation. We do invite you to believe and accept the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you may be saved. And if I can be of any personal help, feel free to call me or be in touch through our website and our email. The announcements are coming up, and I trust the Lord will draw near to you, bless you richly, and give you saving faith in the Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. Stay tuned now for these final announcements. This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 18790 58th Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. On our website you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons, and our gospel booklet called A New Beginning. 
There you can find a link to our Sunday services that are broadcast online. For all this information, please go to our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30am and 6pm to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of his precious word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer at 7.30pm every Wednesday evening. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day from September to June at 9.30am. You can contact us using our office number which is 604-576-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please go to our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will lead you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. And this is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. on this station for our full or church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of his word.